Shalom and welcome to part two of our second sermon from the book of Leviticus with Messianic leader Jacques-Isaac Gavison. The book of Leviticus is teaching us the importance of holiness. And in order to stand on more holy ground, we need to be careful not to minimize or normalize our sin, but rather to confess and ask for forgiveness. Confession is therapy. It's actually healing for the believer. First, confession confirms our position that we stand in a forgiven place, in a restored place with God. It helps us stand firm because we begin a new, fresh page with the Lord when we confess. We can then live in a clear conscience and a pure heart. That's the criteria for going up and meeting the Lord. In Psalm 24, it begins by saying that the whole earth belongs to God and everything that is in it. But then it asks the question, who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy hill? Even though the Lord owns all life, so to speak, not all come up to his holy hill. It is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. It is the one who confesses and repents and receives forgiveness. We also need to remember that when it comes to committing sin, the repercussions resonate. It's not only the act itself that counts against us, but all the consequences related to that action. How clear a picture is given to us when we see the blood and death of the animal as a consequence of our sin. It pictures the pain, the injury that we do to others when we sin. That can be great damage. Yes, confession is good for the soul. And how thankful we are that God provides a way each time we move in the wrong way. He is an amazing God. Be blessed as you listen into today's program with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon. Shalom, shalom. Now, one more thing about twelvefold sins. Question: Are there sins in the New Testament that cannot be forgiven? Yes, they are but not for believers, for unbelievers. There is that one often brought back sin that is committed by unbelievers that is stressed over and over in the New Testament. That is the sin against the Holy Spirit. Yeshua said in Matthew 12, 31, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the sin of refusing the constant attempt of salvation from Him, from His Spirit, at which point there's nothing else to do. It is a willful refusal of salvation after so many attempts. The writer of the book of Hebrews links this sin to the sacrifices in the law by pointing to the heretics. He says, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. He's talking about those who have come to the fold, saw Jesus, tasted his blessings, were even partakers with the Holy Spirit, and then just left the faith. For at the end, they were never believers. They were not interested. For them, there's no possible sacrifice, even going back to the Leviticus system. This is the argument of the writer of Hebrews. And furthermore, 
The difference between willful sin and unwillful sin is brought back in the New Testament and could be seen in Yeshua's words to Pilate when he threatened Jesus that he had authority to crucify him. To this Jesus, you know, at this point he felt so much compassion for him. This is what he said to him. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivers me to you has what? The greater sin. What is that? You know, while Pilate was acting and willingly against Yeshua, the ones actually who handed him over were acting willingly, knowing who he was. And thus, they have the greater sin. Pilate was still guilty of what he was doing. But at this point, he still had the opportunity perhaps to repent. And perhaps the mention of the greatest sin was an attempt for Jesus to try to save him even at the last minute. But besides all this, there's another great practical application behind the burnt offering which speaks to every single believer and I want to bring to you. Back in verse 2, the wording has brought some careful readers of the Hebrew to ask a question that is actually answered later in the New Testament by Paul. When it says, when any of you brings an offering, it was even Ezra in his commentary of Le on Leviticus, who noticed that the Hebrew is somewhat more complicated for it reads, when anyone presents an, an offering of you, an offering of you, that is yourself as an offering. However, he stopped there. But let us not dismiss this, for there is a great truth behind this saying, which is explained for us in the Britadasha. The text here says that the sacrifice represents also the one who brings it. This is where the burnt offering speaks to the believer and their service to God. It is Paul himself who expounds this idea and brings back the sacrifices and directly compares it with the believer's commitment to God. This is how he begins the words in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service to worship, Paul here compares the believers to a sacrifice on the altar and surely he must have had the burnt offering in mind which speaks of the full commitment God asked of every believer an answer of the gifts of salvation he gave them. And Paul's words in the book of Romans are not given in a vacuum. He pronounced them after 11 chapters where almost all biblical doctrines and teachings were given and studying in there he says, what are you going to do with all this teaching? What is the outcome of all the teaching that you have heard for 11 chapters? The point is that doctrine without applications are dead. The Bible is not a book about knowledge only. It is a book of action. It is a book that changes lives. The words in there are not meant to be stored on a shelf, but to transform the person into the likeness of the Messiah through the workings of sanctification. The book of Romans is known in history to have triggered great revivals. But these revivals must have begun because one person presented his body as a living sacrifice. And from him or from her, others followed and great revivals were triggered. Yeshua tells us in John 13, 17, if you know these things, blessed are you, if you do them. 
if you do them. It is then possible to know and not do. God blesses his servants not for what they know, but for their responses to what they know. Our happiness as believers comes through putting our action to what we know of God. Now see how Paul begins again chapter 12. It's not the same Paul uh, we know from the previous 11 chapters. By the way, there's a change there. At the beginning of the verse, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. By the way, we see in the previous chapter of Romans, and especially chapter 1 to 3, how strong and uncompromising this Paul is. But here we see Paul the pastor, a loving and fervent man who cares so much about his flock. And so he starts his new section by the words, I beseech you. Why? Why does he say that? Because the service to God comes only from a willing heart. It's possible and it is quite clear that some are not serving at all. Paul says that I exhort you, I, I plead with you, I beg you, he says. Go ahead, do something. In other words, God saves you, now please do something about it. And Paul's pleading reflects God's word for the burnt offering. Have you noticed how he began the account of the burnt offering? Let's go back to Leviticus, where it says, When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, when any man, that is, if any man, this was seen as a voluntary offering. There's no commandments here for the individual. Only if you want. If you want. And the same spirit inspired Paul to plead with us to go ahead and commit and pray and study his word. I want to tell you, I understand it's not an easy thing to do, but it is that thing that will bring great blessings into your lives and the lives of those around you, that is. If you commit to these things, it's like your burnt offering to the Lord. This doesn't mean that you have to leave your workplace or move to another place. It is a question of changing your mind and your thoughts to adapt them to the thoughts and minds of God. And as you are, where you are, as you are now, then the Lord will bring you to see some beautiful, great things. And so this is when we come to the fourth verse of Leviticus. From here we can see the extent of the commitment of the person who brings the sacrifice and what he is asked to do. The person, actually we're going to read about, is a type of you and me. Let's read verses 4 to 6. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall slay the young bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall offer up the blood on, and sprinkle the blood around the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. By the way, this is not the priest who does that. It is the person who brings the offering. Have you noticed the four actions this man is called to do? First, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. Second, he shall slay it. Third, he shall skin it. Fourth, he shall cut it to pieces. Fifth, in verse 9, its entrails and legs shall be washed with water. You know, after this experience, you don't want to sin anymore, right? You don't want to get back 
to that place. That's the point. Leviticus, I want to tell you, is the undiluted biblical message. It is the cure for easy and believism or believism. It brings out the other side of biblical Christianity we rarely proclaim. It's toughness as we begin to understand more and more how God sees him. And when you read this, you say, thank God I don't live at that time. And that Jesus died for my sins. And to further understand where we are in Leviticus 1, let us go back. I want to, I want, I want to bring you back. And let's walk with this person who sinned and repented and came to the temple to offer the burnt offering. Just imagine the scene. So as soon as the person, you, me, approaches the tabernacle, he is confronted with a long line of people holding on to their animals, all quiet and submissive. Then this long line stops next to a huge altar of sacrifice. But as you stand in line with your animal and as you approach the altar for your turn, you begin to notice these rivers of blood flowing from everywhere, from everywhere. And the smoke from the altar and the priest's garments actually drenched in blood and their sandals soaked in blood. And all these animal pieces everywhere. Perhaps after looking at the whole scene, your eyes will be drawn back towards this innocent animal that you brought along with you. With great pity, you will look at it. You look at it and feel very sorry for it because you know that you are both there because of the transgressions that you have done. This is, I believe, the point here, the point of all these details. Have you thought of sin this way? While our tendency is to minimize and normalize sin, Leviticus is here to tell us otherwise. Through this, God wanted the offender to be repulsed by his own actions, which triggered the death of the animal. And in so doing, he will see the holiness of God behind there. All this was added, by the way. Because of our transgressions. This is what the New Testament says. These words we find in the book of Galatians 3.19. Really, they really sums up for us the detailed description of these sacrifices. And there Paul says what purpose then the law served. It was added because of transgressions. Our transgressions. It means that if there was no sin, we wouldn't need these types of laws. But since sin is present, in order to make it very clear that we are indeed sinning, the law was added to plainly point out that this is sin according to God and that we have no excuse at all. The point is that as harsh as the law may be, so the sin we carry affects God. But then again, Galatians 3.19, that is, does not stop. I just read part of the verse. The rest says, let me read the whole thing. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgression until the seed that is Yeshua Mashiach should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels and by the hand of mediator. When we read every word of Leviticus law, you see and repeatedly say, thank God that Yeshua came. There's nothing like this book to bring out the evil of sin. Now let us briefly consider the laying on hands. Laying on hands over the burnt offering. You know, before the slaughtering, the sinner is asked to lay his hand on the animal's head. This was a symbolic transfer of sin unto the animal. They knew about that. But it was done dramatically. 
for the word le, samak, is really to lean on, on the animal. Like to lean, one leans on a wall. Or one lays his weight on a stick, let's say. And at this point, the man said his prayers. Surely his confessions of sin. See how confession here is emphasized? Like the burnt offering that is offered twice a day, confession of our sins should be also in our daily prayers. Confession, I want to tell you, is therapy. It's therapy for the believer who lays his burden, who lays completely on God and brings his burdens at the foot of the tithe. But Leviticus goes a long way to tell us that the confession of every believer reaches the heart of God. I will bring you to two points in this chapter. There's another word we have not yet seen that is repeated. This one will open a door to God's reaction when we pray and confess our sins. It is the word razon, accepted in verse 3 and in verse 4. This is what it says. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it might be accepted for him. The word accepted here is not a simple acknowledgement, like the one who would say, good job, come again. This word accepted in the Hebrew means pleasure, means delight. As in Proverbs, when it says that the blameless in their work are his delight, same word. Or when it says those who deal faithfully are his delight, same word. God takes our confession seriously and we learn here that he delights and rejoices at the moment we offer our confessions and prayers to him. Does that, does that prompt us to pray even more? But there is yet one statement that is repeated after each of the sacrifices, types of sacrifices that is in chapter 1. The word is soothing aroma to the Lord. Verse 9, verse 13, and verse 17, which speaks of the joy of the Lord when we pray and confess our sins. What does this word soothing aroma really mean? By the way, how could the smoke of the sacrifice be a sweet aroma to the Lord? The word soothing here, anioah, is the same Hebrew word as the name Noah, by the way, which means rest, appeasement, tranquility. That is the effect of the sacrifices given to God. He rests. He doesn't rest on the death of the animal. He rests because the person confessed his sins. Notice that it was with Noah that we find the first mention of the burnt offering and also the first mention of this expression, soothing aroma in the Bible, the first of 43 times in the Hebrew Scriptures. Noah, in his prayers and confession, became a source of joy and rest for God, even in the midst of a pre-flood, wicked people, because this man walked with God. Noah here is a type of us, and how beautiful a picture it is of a man giving rest to the Almighty God. Can you imagine we can do that? And so the message is that we also can give rest and joy to God when we pray, when we confess our sins. There's another place, by the way, in the Bible where we can see how sin disturbs God. It is right at the opening of the scriptures, right at the beginning. Do you remember that after the creation, God rested, right? But he rested from what? 
since he never gets tired. We know that he neither slumbers nor sleeps. God never sleeps. He does not need to sleep. He never tires. He's not a man. But why did God need to rest at this point? Did you realize that the six days of creation were really a fixing up of the original creation? We read in Genesis 1.1 that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Everything is good when God does create. But right after the creation in Genesis 1-2, the earth was what? Toho veboho without form. And, with, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And so after the creation of verse 1, a creation ex nihilo, something happened and it became again toho veboho that is without form and void. And because disorder disturbs God, this is what he undertook to fix his creation. And after each of the six days, we read the words, and it was good. Six times God said that. Until he finished. And then we read, he rested on the seventh day from his work, and which he has done. What did he rest from? From sin. From disorders. From chaos. These things disturb God. And I find it extraordinary that he allows himself to be disturbed by these things. That's his love who prompts him to come close to you. So sin then disturbs God. And as far as we're concerned, when we sin, we disturb him. And when we confess our sin, it puts disorder and chaos to rest. And that brings rest to God. The word rest here, by the way, is Shabbat. Shabbat giving meaning to our day of rest, which was designed so that we may also ponder on these things. And this truth is enhanced in the New Testament, where it directly calls the believer a soothing aroma to God. Have you noticed that? This is in 2 Corinthians 2.15, at the end of the book, where really in this book, you know, Paul opens up his heart and he says, for we are to God the fragrance of the Messiah among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We have today become a sweet aroma, a fragrance. When we give ourselves as a living sacrifice, and it is then that as we walk in the Lord, our prayers and confession is an object of rejoicing for him. Now, how is it possible to achieve this rest for God? You know, I want to bring you to two passages of the scriptures. There's a prophecy we find in the book of Psalms that is repeated, actually, and coded in the book of Hebrews, and where the Spirit made a slight change in the words, but a very significant change. Let us conclude with these two passages. The first one is Psalm 40, verse 6, where the Messiah says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but you have pierced my ears. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not demand. We understand that it is about Yeshua, the Messiah, for the book of Hebrew tells us it's about him. See that it begins by telling us that the Lord does not desire sacrifice and offering, meaning that he does not take pleasure in the death of the animals, and because of this, he pierced the ears of the Messiah. What can we understand by this? Many translations have the word opened for the word pierced. But the word is kara in Hebrews. That means pierce, to dig, to pierce. Like when he comes back, we shall recognize his hands and his feet, pierced. The piercing of the ear in the law was used to stamp the servanthood for the life of the servant. 
We learn in Deuteronomy chapter 15 that every seven years a servant was free to go. However, if he decided to stay and serve his master for the remaining of his life, that is when the Lord, uh, that is the Lord his master, takes him to him. And see how it's, he reads. He says, Then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant. And the word here is forever. Le'olam. Le'olam is used. Here it means, of course, only for the duration of the servant's life. But how does this apply to Yeshua and to us? The Spirit explains it in Hebrews 10.5. See what it says. Therefore, when he, that is Yeshua, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offering and sacrifices for sin you have no pleasure. But I said, Behold, I have come in the volumes of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Here is the answer. The Spirit has changed the word. You have pierced my ears for the words, A body you have prepared for me. For one follows the others. Once the Messiah agreed to serve, then a body was prepared for him, which he gave as a final and ultimate burnt offering for the sins of all to and for all to accept him as their personal savior. And in the process, it is the same for the believers today. It is when we agree to serve our God that we become this living sacrifice and follow the path of the Messiah and bear fruits. Amen. Let us bow our head in prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, we praise you. Again, our Father, this morning, our hearts have been so filled, filled with a time of worship, filled with the wonder of your truth. And we're so grateful for, for the things you have, we have seen this morning in your word. Grant us today the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Yeshua. Open the eyes of our understanding that we may know the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in us, the believers. And what is the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe. And as one body composed of Jews and Gentiles, we want to also thank you for, the, for, for counting us worthy to be part of your congregation, your body, here on earth. Bless each and every one here present this morning. And I pray that you will confirm to our hearts all these wonderful things we have learned today about you. May the Lord bless you all. Amen. Shalom Ariel is a daily radio program emphasizing the Jewish perspective of Scripture. God is not through dealing with Israel, nor will he renege any of the promises he has made to her. Our teacher for this program, Jacques Isaac Gabizon, is a Messianic Jewish believer and Messianic leader at Beth Ariel Congregation right here in Montreal. If you've been encouraged by the messages, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one 685 5902 or you may write us at info at Beth Ariel, B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L, all one word, dot C-A. You are also welcome to join us for our Saturday morning services. We are located at 6297 Monkland Boulevard, corner of Madison in NDG. The message is given in English, but we do offer simultaneous translation into French and Russian. Services begin at 11 a.m. We have Shabbat school for children of all ages, up to and including teens. 
You may also download audio messages from our website at bethariel.ca and enjoy other in-depth teaching from Jacques Isaac. If you would like to sign up for informative newsletters, log on to our website and add your name to our email list. Shalom Ariel is a listener-supported program. If you have it on your heart to donate, it will be a great blessing for the continuing ministry and outreach of Beth Ariel. Thank you and Shalom Shalom.